on this episode of the Alt Normal. Normal. I've been fortunate to do this work where I've had to, by nature of my job, explore so much of my body and the processes that it has, you know, gone through and and have come to really see what what a gift something as mundane or even annoying as my period is. Another coronavirus vaccine has shown to be highly effective. Welcome to the Alt Normal, an exploration of the diverse voices on planet Earth. Joe Biden will become president of the United States. Doing the critical work of rebuilding a healthier, more sustainable alternative future. At the intersection of self, community, and the planet. We live in uncertain times. Powerful moments of revolution. How we choose to steer the path will determine what kind of alt-normal we consciously remake together. Everyone has a part to play. Let's rise. Shift and support this exciting new reality in the making. The alt-normal. Hi, I'm Tiffany Wen, the host of The Alt-Normal. This is a show that centers embodied integration as the absolutely critical force for rebuilding this post-pandemic world that's ever more sustainable, diverse, and inclusive. Culture needs a rebrand that goes deep at the core of who we are in the integration of our rich diversity, complexity, and emerging alternative paradigms. Let's be real. We are in a crisis of consciousness, realizing that the only way to change things out there is to first change things in here. The power structures and institutions can only take us so far. To see a world that's diverse and inclusive for all actually requires us to change from the inside out, shifting into actionable models of power with one another versus power over one another. Now more than ever, we need a new story for humanity that leans into the diversity of who we are and our emerging zones of genius to live more truthfully in how we relate to ourselves, our community, and the planet. So let's pick up those forgotten pieces of ourselves to rebrand our story of humanity from one of separation to one of integration. We're talking integration of the mind with the body, the scientific with the spiritual, strategy with emergence, and the individual with the collective. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow, a methodology that powers our core capabilities in branding and content creation. Our mission is to design resonance between brands and their most valuable audience to drive the greatest possible impact. After 20 plus years of working in New York City and Milan for Fortune 500 companies in marketing and advertising, we decided to take the big leap and make a fundamental shift in how we work and bring brand stories to life. The Alt Normal is recorded at Destination Outpost, a co-living and co-working community based out in Bali. They have amazing spaces located in Ubud and Chenggu that enable people to live and work from paradise, encouraging people to live differently so they can work from beautiful destinations and build strong connections with others on a similar path through life. So I am super excited to welcome our guest today, Megan Lyerly. Megan is the managing editor of Blood and Milk, a women's health and lifestyle website created by Cora. She was also formerly the head of content at Cora. She's also a freelance writer and editor with work published in The Lily, The Good Trade, and Women's Wear Daily, among others. She writes a weekly current events and culture digest, which you can subscribe to at meganlyerly.com forward slash newsletter. And we will be sure to include that in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us today, Megan. So excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. So just just for folks who are listening, Megan and I go way back to middle school days. So this is particularly exciting because that was what, like 20 years ago or something? 
We did the math earlier and it has been 20 years since we last spoke. So a very exciting podcast reunion. Yes, I love it. So exciting. So I always love to start these conversations off with kind of looking more broadly at culture. And I know that you ghost wrote an op-ed piece um, that was titled A Reclamation of Female Power. And you wrote that for The Lily, which for listeners who don't know, is a publication for The Washington Post. And I just wanted to read a little slice of your op-ed because I really loved the way that you languaged this particular moment in 2017 when kind of the women's movement just blew up. So I'm going to read that and then we'll launch in. So you wrote, quote, women got angry. Women share their stories with the hashtag MeToo exposing the ugly truth that injustice towards women is blind to industry, celebrity, race, color, or creed. Women shared stories of work trip hotel rooms becoming places of fear and dread, of showers turning into unwanted peep shows, and business conversations littered with innuendo and even propositions for sex. These stories were difficult to hear, but 2017 will always be the year the narrative changed. Feminism was Merriam-Webster's word of the year. The silence breakers were Time Magazine's person of the year. In 2017, we gathered as friends to discuss policy. We wrote blog posts and articles to break our silence. We donated money like never before to threatened organizations. And despite legislative roadblocks and nightmarish setbacks, we marched onward, end quote. Wow. (laughs) Powerful, powerful words. And I mean, there's so much to say about that, but I just wanted to start with that. I know it's like a little bit heavier than probably, you know, starting anything, but um, I know that this conversation feels important because the women's liberation and empowerment movement really began in 2017. And I think you also joined Cora that year, if I'm not mistaken, right? I did, exactly. And that's no coincidence. So I kind of wanted no. to <laughs> I kind of wanted to start off our conversation with, you know, you telling us about your personal relationship and personal journey with this bigger women's liberation movement that we have been experiencing for the past three, four years? So my story begins, I think, from a place of naivete. And I know that a lot of people were not surprised by the 2016 election results. Uh, People who perhaps were paying closer attention than I was, I was shocked to my core. Uh, I think that a lot of things made sense in retrospect. And I was able to say, oh, that's interesting. That's because I was a woman or she was a woman or, um, you know, I I think I saw things being retrospectively gendered maybe um, in a way that kind of made me take pause and take stock and realize that this was something that I wanted to fight for or rather fight against. So kind of around the same time, I was having this personal reckoning and understanding of this broader cultural moment, the job for Cora literally kind of came into my inbox, a friend, oh, I think this might be a good fit for you. And I was like, this is a perfect fit for me. Uh, I had been in content marketing and always been a writer and an editor, but I live in San Francisco. It was a lot of software-based and more technical writing and roles. And this was kind of Do you want to put that expertise and pair it with something you're actually passionate about and be a part of a broader movement? So obviously the answer was yes. And I joined Cora in the winter of 2017. And my first task was literally they had an idea that they wanted to create this editorial platform for women's health. Uh, That was kind of it. It was a thesis, a framework, and they said, build this. So I kind of took all of those things that I was learning, seeing, observing, and kind of got to learn along with, you know, the growth of the site, if that makes sense. Wow. That, I mean, stars aligning. There's no visible manifestation of that than your own personal awakening and receiving this opportunity at Cora. And so let's kind of dive into Cora. 
you were their head of content for three years and you're still managing director of this content hub called Blood and Milk, which we're going to get into in just a bit. And for me, when I look at um, a brand like Cora, and by the way, the website and just the visuals and the storytelling are, are so beautiful and so compelling. And like when you start looking, it's just hard to take your eyes off of it and to stop being curious because I think the brand and like the work you've contributed to really has that sort of mesmerizing and quality that's also quite strong in its activism. So I love that balance. Wanted to shout that out. And, um, you know, as a B Corps too, Cora has, you know, done things right, not just on product level, but also in terms of impact, in terms of community content, et cetera. Um, so basically I would love for, for the uninitiated here listening in, can you start off by telling us what is Cora, right? And, and how does Cora think about the word impact? Such a good question. So Cora began as a tampon subscription company. So it was kind of the Tom's shoe model of for every subscription to, our quarterly tampons, we provide uh, pads and reproductive health education to girls in need. It's since evolved into, I think, much more of a holistic offering for women's health. But in terms of impact specifically, that giving piece was there from the very beginning. But where I came in was we realized that you know, Cora was providing products and education to girls abroad, but we were only providing products to women at home. So I think that just because perhaps a girl in Kenya or India, where our partner organizations are located, may not have the health class that we had in middle school, like that does not mean women in the U.S. have any idea what's actually going on in their bodies. I mean, let's look back to those health classes. Like, what did you learn about your period? You bled once a month. There's so much more, right? So that's when the idea and the genesis of blood and milk came to be because it was, there's so much that even as educated women in our 30s, we we don't know, we don't understand, and there's no um, kind of community around. So I think when Cora thinks of impact, it's absolutely global, and it's providing education and products that girls need. And then I think it's also kind of domestic and community-based in how we approach our offerings or Cora's offerings for our customers. Yeah, I love that piece where you are creating impact abroad, but not for the women at home that were buying your products. And I guess there are these two levels that I want to explore more with you. And so maybe we can start with this like beautiful impact report that you guys created. I think it was this year, right? 2021. This year. It was a massive project that now just lives beautifully on the site as, you know, <laughs> those things do. <laughs> as those things do. And, you know, it's called for, for listeners, it was called Closing the Circle, right? And it was looking kind of at the brand more broadly from the last four years or so. And you know, I think it does an incredible job of showing and telling uh, the story of Cora and how it impacts girls abroad in these developing countries and kind of inviting the viewer in, not just giving facts and figures, but really creating a narrative of how and what could be possible when a brand and, and content and the underrepresented um, can all come together and create something uh, that is impactful and that does put people first. And so, you know, some some things that I just wanted to reference from that impact report were, you know, telling, uh, showing the story of how, you know, 12 million plus pads and tampons have been provided, 1.5 million girls have been reached. And so kind of what I wanted to ask you is a bit of a meta question, because I think in COVID times, you know, brands really stepped up in a bigger way and impact became a bigger word. But from where you sat in Cora, 
what was the impact of that impact report on everyone that was involved in creating it and receiving it? Yeah. So I think for people receiving it, the hope was that the impact would be awareness. I think I didn't know what period poverty was until I joined Cora. I It makes sense, but I had never heard the concept of places and just a, a quick uh, introduction for anyone who, who may not be familiar with the term, but uh, you know, areas around the world where because girls or women don't have access to period products, they stay home from school, from work. Um, and obviously the impact of that, I mean, when you think about a community where all of the girls in a high school, middle school class are staying home for 25% of the month from school, you have to look at that you know, when you zoom out on the impact of gender equality, even GDP, like where does that country, like how are they contributing to the world? Uh, what does their workforce look like? Like it's it's an enormous impact. And I think for me, that was so shocking when I started that the purpose of an impact report is to help people understand how pervasive and serious this issue is. And there are things we can do about it. Uh, obviously choosing Cora as your tampon brand, like isn't going to end period poverty, but it's a small step. And even just having that monthly connection to a brand whose mission that is every single day helps, you know, fund and fuel it, which is great. The second part of your question was how it impacted the team who created the, the impact report. And, you know, this feels like kind of a selfish answer, but I think just going through actually the impact that we've been able to have because of our, our customers. And I was fortunate enough to actually travel to India and Kenya and meet the girls and actually attend these classes with them, like the reproductive health courses. So the ability to see that, as you know, I think there are days when I'm stuck in WordPress editing an article for Blood and Milk, and it's really hard to remember the impact of my work. So to see it kind of all laid out, like this is what we have been doing for the past four years was really cool and super motivating. And for work like this, you want a really motivated workforce. Wow. I am so curious about your travels to these countries and getting to interact with these girls. Um, I don't have like a question in mind, um, but do you have a particular story or memory of an interaction that you had that really like dropped that reality in that, wow, you know, to live in the United States and to be of a certain identity um, means to have privilege versus going abroad and really understanding not just intellectually, but also in the body, what that feels like. I don't know. It's just something that kind of came out just now as a curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I have so many stories. Both trips were so impactful, but I think what jumps to mind is meeting a girl named Charity. This is in the Maasai Mara in Kenya. So very rural, like, you know, where people go to safari, which is another interesting piece. It's like very fancy, expensive safari resorts all around. And then you travel five miles down the road and there's this tiny schoolhouse and we met again this girl charity and her mom and she had dropped out of school i think she must have been around 12 or 13 was out of school for the entire year um, because literally because she fell behind in her studies from missing school for her period. And then through this partnership was able to receive products that put her back in school. And it's, you know, now she wants to be a doctor and it's like, that's huge to think that this super ambitious young girl who wants to be a doctor, that dream could have been so quickly shattered because of her period. So that was really impactful. Wow. Yeah. And if one girl can do it, then other girls can. Sometimes it just takes seeing one role model in the community to start to believe that reality for yourself. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. If any of these types of stories come out throughout the episode, feel free to, <laughs> to, to slide them in as well, because I think these are the types of stories, even when reading an impact report, you can get a taste of that, but then also to hear it from someone like you who traveled and got to experience that impact, I think is important also for conscious consumers, for community, for people who believe in the power of business to do good to hear. 
Definitely. And I think it's interesting in the content world because obviously that is such a more impactful story than anything I could say about my experience at Cora. But there's also, you know, you don't want to take up too much of someone's time or feel like you are, um, you know, using them or their story in any way. So I think that's an interesting piece of kind of content and brand storytelling is what, what is the line between when it comes to um, impact if you are a socially minded brand that has some kind of impact initiative or it gives back in some way, like what is the right way to, to tell those stories without being um, performative or exploitative, I think. Mm, I'm so happy you brought that up. I mean, that makes so much sense. And I didn't even consider that angle in how do you tell a story for benefit without exploiting and where is that fine line? I mean, do you have some kind of wisdom that you've extracted from this experience around how to do it right and what questions maybe that you had to sit with to arrive at the right balance or clarity or answer? So I think something that Cora did really well, and the founder actually interviewed hundreds of organizations when deciding who we would partner with. So the two that Cora arrived on is one called Zana Africa um, in Kenya, and then one called Akar Innovations in India. And for me, it's super important to avoid the white saviorism of we are giving people who didn't even ask for this, products that they may not even want or need, but to actually partner with organizations who have that line to the community. Um, So I think I was lucky in being able to tell stories with their input and all the girls we met were kind of chosen by the leaders in those organizations who are actually boots on the ground, like in those communities. So that helped me feel at ease. Not like I was just running in like with a microphone, you know, but actually like they had expressed interest, wanted their story told. um, And we were able to communicate, I think, more efficiently and authentically through those partner organizations. Mm, Partnerships, the power of partnerships. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) That's wonderful. Yeah. Thanks for kind of clicking that into place because I think the white saviorism and thanks for naming it like that can, can help people just check in with, right. What is my intention? Is it to really benefit people in the way that they need to be, or is it my own biases playing into the story that I'm creating about this particular project or reality? Definitely. And I think a quick example of that is, you know, Cora only provided pads to both of those countries. And I remember starting at Cora and I was like, this is really messed up. Like I prefer tampons. They're so much easier. We should be giving them what we, what we would want. And that was such a centered way of looking at it because in these cultures, like they don't want tampons. There's something about the insertion and it it doesn't, you know, sit well in these communities. So they exclusively use pads. They don't want pads. And for me to assume that we were, you know, giving them something less than or second rate was really indicative of how little I knew and how I was centering myself in the story. Wow. Amazing. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, what a, what an experience to shift out of that and to right, just look at those assumptions and just name them for what they are and to allow that be a learning for the whole team and community. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a lot of guests on the show that talk about this thing called stakeholder capitalism, which is this idea that if we want to move capitalism in a more conscious direction, we need to consider all people that are involved, all people at stake, not just investors and shareholders, but people in the community, like we've talked about, customers, vendors, suppliers, employees, right? Every single person that touches this thing called the brand or the business are part of that ecosystem. And so, you know, this other arm of Cora that we touched on earlier is around the community and kind of how Blood and Milk seemed to have originated was to speak more directly Uh, and truthfully with this community. So I don't want to put words into how Blood and Milk came about, but I just wanted to frame up this question with, you know, you launched this beautiful content ecosystem. I love the name so much. And for listeners, you know, who aren't familiar with this, I just want to maybe pull out a few headlines that are part of this content ecosystem and then would love for you to kind of tour us on what it is. 
headlines like what to eat during uh, each phase of your menstrual cycle, uh, the link between IUDs and depression we need to talk about, or what you need to know about postpartum masturbation, like all topics under the sun. And it gives me goosebumps just even thinking about the fact that there is a place where women can speak so freely about topics that we all share. Um, so maybe you can tell us how did this whole project, this whole arm of Cora gets started and what is it all about? Yeah, big question. So, and a fun fact that postpartum masturbation piece is like one of the top five articles of all time. Like consistently, there are hundreds of thousands of people on that, you know, any given month. So it's super interesting. And I, I have learned so much. Uh, so basically how it started, as I said earlier, was, you know, we aren't educating women here. So of course we wanted a piece on menstruation that ties directly to the product. But I think as any good marketer knows, you need content outside of, okay, here's an article on menstruation with the CTA to buy our tampons. So then it became a conversation around, well, what else does a woman who has landed on blood and milk to learn about her period? What does she care about? And some of the immediate answers were fertility, sex and intimacy, body and body image. So I think we started with maybe seven or eight pillars. And then a couple of months into it, I realized we really didn't have a home for mental health. And I think my initial kind of gut was mental health is interwoven through all of these topics. It doesn't need to be a specific vertical. And I feel like I was very wrong. There's not really necessarily place to talk about anxiety and depression uh, in any of those verticals that we already had. And then, of course, June 2020 came around, and I realized the same was true about race and intersectionality. You know, again, I was kind of like, we have this in having different voices and having trying very hard to have diverse authors and voices on the platform. But again, there was no place for them to talk specifically about their experience with Blackness or their experience as a member of the LGBTQ community. Like we needed our own hub for that. So I think it evolved kind of, as I said earlier, also with my own understanding and kind of own evolving view of the world when it comes to life in a female body. What does a female body even mean? You know, these kind of big questions funneling down to what are the verticals on this editorial platform? Wow. What does it mean to be in a female body? I think that question is the question that can probably keep on giving forever. I mean, definitely. <laughs> that, that's, that's a really interesting question. Would it be okay if I asked you, what does it mean to be in a female body for you? Definitely a great question. I think my answer is always evolving. I think what I love and appreciate about my current understanding of femininity and a female body is I think largely connection. So I think it's the ability to connect with other women, I think just in the way, and it's a problem that we're raised in such a gendered way, but you know, I was, I grew up in the eighties and nineties, you know, I guess nineties and early aughts, <laughs> um, <laughs> born in 88, but, you know, I think we were raised with a certain level of sensitivity and vulnerability that like, unfortunately many men weren't raised with. And I have taken that through kind of to all of my closest friendships and relationships. And I'm so grateful for it in the same way that I connect externally. I think there's also an internal connection. And I think largely like that's the cycle. That's the period. I feel like having this monthly, um, you know, monthly bleed, but also the period of extreme tiredness and sadness in the days before it, the kind of euphoric outgoing nature of ovulation, like having this kind of code in my body that connects me back to myself every month, I think is pretty amazing. I know also there are people who identify as female living in a female body who don't have that. So again, that's kind of my understanding is evolving, but that's what it's been for me in, in my female body. Mm, thanks for sharing that. Uh, the, the four 
seasons analogy of how a woman cycles through her body every month. There's so much literature about that. And I see a rising movement of women that are talking to each other colloquially in conversation. Oh, I'm in this uh, part of my cycle. Therefore, I'm feeling this. And this is why this. And it's a whole new language that I think is entering culture in a much more acceptable and normalized way. And that's exciting. And something that, you know, I love to explore on the show is what is the old story that's outdated and dying out? Like, thank you for teaching me what you've taught me, but goodbye. And what is the new story that's emerging, especially, you know, in the height of COVID and Black Lives Matter and all these other movements to advance um, equality, to advance human rights, essentially, And, you know, we've been talking a lot about women's health, uh, wellness, and liberation. And, you know, I think something you said before that really rings true for me is that blood and milk and being able to ask the question, what does it mean to be in a female body, is actually reclaiming this power within ourselves as women not to be um, in relationship to our body as defined by a medical system or another system outside of ourselves, but rather taking that question and belonging in it. And I would love to explore with you, what is this old story that's dying out about this women's empowerment movement? And then what is this new story that you see emerging that excites you and perhaps you are living it currently because you are evolving in it. Yeah. So what comes to mind immediately is the connection to self. I think that, and this is opening a whole other can of worms, but we've seen kind of all of the op-ed takedowns of the girl boss and how many female founders did we kind of cancel, you know, I'm using um, air quotes in 2020. And I think that we put, it's influencer culture as well, putting people on a pedestal and trying to take what works for some successful woman or group of people and apply it to ourselves. And I think that I personally have been working very hard to reconnect to my intuition. What is my body telling me? Um, I can get a million Instagram ads a day about a different smoothie that'll really, you know, make my mornings amazing and someone else's workout routine. And instead it's waking up and listening to my body and what I need. Um, And then I think, you know, obviously that's starting on a very small scale, but I would like to see us evolve to a place where our feminism is more intuitive and less, um, what's the word I'm looking at, looking for kind of like performatively copying other people in a way. Another ladder to climb. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. How is something that's so deeply inherent, such a birthright to you? How can you actually create that space to explore that within yourself and not necessarily be, um, influenced or, you know, yeah, uh, defined by something or a measure outside of yourself that doesn't necessarily work for you, but maybe culture kind of slaps on and says, well, it should work for you. And totally. And especially with this, you know, kind of faux feminist branding, it's like, you should do this, think this, say this, if you're a feminist. And it's like, what does that even mean? Um, which is a whole other topic we could get into, but kind of what does it actually mean to be a feminist and how do you stay authentic to yourself within that kind of community and movement? Mm, Well, I would love to go there if you would like to explore that a little bit more. What is? I knew you were going to ask and I was like, oh God, I don't have an answer. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's what's amazing to not have to have this answer, but perhaps let it emerge through your own lived experience. Because as we kind of touched on, um, maybe we don't have the answer because we haven't been brought up to even ask the question to get there. And so this is all kind of a new exercise, perhaps for women who haven't done this before. Um, but on some level, they know it feels good. You know, it's pleasurable. It's exciting. It it turns you on intellectually, emotionally, physically, holistically, right? So I, I'm curious about that because 
you know, maybe you're not going to see a Wall Street Journal article about that, but it's still valid and it's still real and it still deserves a rightful place in the conversation. So <laughs> what is feminism to you, Megan? So I think right now, I think that four years ago, I would have defined feminism as just equality and, you know, not seeing gender, which we all know isn't, you know, probably real, Um, but just not having to think about my womanhood in situations where I don't want to and just assuming that there's equality between the sexes or the genders. Um, And it's so funny because, yeah, it's evolved so much beyond that to where I love my womanhood. I want to shout it from the rooftops. You know, I don't want it to be, I think it's so additive. Some of these qualities that, you know, are traditionally feminine and I don't want it to ever go away or be a moot point. I want it to be a big piece of the benefits of who I am and what I bring to the table. Well, it seems like you kind of do have a wonderful answer to that question of what is feminism. Well, it's funny because I started with the like, oh, it's just equality. And I was like, wait, no, 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 it's so not. That's, that is my antiquated version of the, of the answer, because I do think, and I've been fortunate to do this work where I've had to, by nature of my job, explore so much of my body and the processes that it has you know, gone through and, and have come to really see what, what a gift something as mundane or even annoying as my period is. Yeah. I, I love the way that you embody all of this. And because, you know, you've conducted a lot of interviews for blood and milk and you yourself have just said that you had to experience this as you were creating it. Was there a particular interview or conversation that, planted a really deep seed for you and and made you think, oh, wow, um, had it not been for this community rising, you know, maybe I wouldn't have gone as deep with this personal topic that now I want to continue to evolve in. Is there anything that jumps to mind in any interviews that you've done, people you've spoken to? So the one that comes to mind immediately is a discussion I had uh, with three different women on pregnancy loss. Um, And that's not something I've experienced personally, but hearing them share so articulately, so vulnerably, so beautifully about this horrific experience they collectively went through and just watching the way, like I was the voyeur, right? I was just kind of sitting there watching in amazement as these women just connected and the strength, like this was over Zoom because 2020, but it was, I could feel kind of this power like coming from the screen. And I was like, oh my God, women are so crazy, resilient and wonderful. And like, how lucky am I to be in this company? Company of these women, not company with Cora, although it was through Cora. So yeah, (laughs) both things are true. (laughs) But to be in, you know, to be in the company of such powerful women who took the hardest thing they'd ever experienced in their life and put energy into creating community for others going through the most terrible time in their life. Like how strong do you have to be? Oh my God. You know, that was pretty, pretty incredible. It made me feel very lucky again to be just holding space with them. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. That, yeah, again, gives me goosebumps. And I think, you know, women as community builders, women as uh, strength bearers, women as et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's what's beautiful about this platform that we can explore those depths and layers and they keep on giving. You know, there isn't really an end to it, especially when we consider diversity of identity and voices and perspectives. It just keeps getting richer and juicier and more exciting to have these conversations. And so, you know, again, we kind of shifted into blood and milk and I kind of want to shift back into... I don't want to call them stakeholders, but, you know, the girls in these underrepresented communities, developing countries as a, an important part of the core community. 
Um, so I kind of want to bring it back to them and just bring in a little reference. So we had a woman, um, Emily Viola, who was a previous guest on the show, and she works for a change agency called Futera. And their whole mission is to help brands um, get so excited about sustainability that it becomes a normal and they bring sustainability into their strategy, into the way they market and communicate. And um, they did original research that looked at how millennials and Gen Zers are not necessarily expecting brands to be perfect, but they're expecting them to be truthful. And there is a difference between being perfect and truthful. And that's really what I see as the difference between being impactful and also being in progress because we're always in progress. We're always in evolution as humans. So why can't we be in organizations and communicate that honestly? And, um, you know, I see Cora as a wonderful example of a brand that's not only creating impact and trying to tell that story, but also a brand that is excited about progress, um, which is not something that I see all the time and so uh, eloquently uh, languaged. So, you know, in the sort of realm of what's the old story, what's the new story, in your time at Cora, you know, what do you see as sort of the new story of how brands can impact and be in progress? Like, have you learned anything about what it means to be in progress and to own that progress in your time at Cora? I think you alluded to it before, but I think it's transparency. I think that people don't want to be greenwashed uh, when it comes to sustainability. They don't want to be sold a story about how Cora has ended period poverty when it comes to impact with the girls in Ken- Kenya and India, um, but they want to to your point, see the progress. And I think something that uh, I think Cora has always done well is acknowledge that it's a small company and a small team and there are issues and problems. And I think even more with the sustainability portion of the brand, like we, they still sell applicator tampons and we know that that contributes very largely to landfill Uh, and they still sell them because also some people still prefer them. Um, But they're also now more sustainable single or, um, you know, products with longer life cycles. Uh, So I think it's, it's never, I think it, it is just that transparent piece that makes the customer feel like, okay, I'm going to choose the cup because that's the most important thing to me. I also see that you have tampons and you're not trying to hide them. I may have a problem with that, but I'd have more of a problem if they were, you know, behind some kind of wall or you were lying about the fact that tampons are harmful to the environment, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And it's, it's just good to have this conversation grow because I think this is the theme, just being able to name it and say, we're not there yet, but these are our intentions for the upcoming year and we're aware and we want to make you aware and let's all be in this dialogue together in the most transparent way possible. And that dialogue is important because I think something else, and as I'm talking, you know, there are customer, like you kind of have to meet people where they are to an extent. I think it's really admirable if Cora were to say tomorrow, we only sell the menstrual cup, the disc period underwear, you know, things that you can use over and over and over again. But the customer hasn't asked for that. Like there are plenty of people who still prefer single use products. So I think that's where education really comes into play. And instead of just pulling a fast one and we're changing and this person's like, wait, but I love these products. How do we meet her where she is and hopefully get her to come along on the ride with us so that she's super excited in two years, three years, whenever, when it is fully, you know, cups and discs and period underwear. Yeah. And it's right. Overlapping. Well, not overlapping necessarily, but considering, okay, brand Cora needs of women and how can we find this happy medium where we are serving the community, but we're also taking a stand as a, as a brand that wants to continuously impact planet and community. Yeah. A lot, a lot to think about a lot of layers to peel back. Yeah. A lot of layers. Yeah. But I think it's, you know, transparency and education are kind of the two jumping out for me. So as we shift now into envisioning, uh, we are in 2021. The world is slowly opening back up. And I think there's a lot of mixed feelings in the bag about what does that mean for me? What does that look like? Am I excited about that? Am I hesitant about that? 
you know, a lot of emotions. And as, you know, someone who has really shaped Cora in many ways and brought blood and milk into being, it was your baby, yes, you know, absolutely. Was, <laughs> and you're still continuously growing this platform. Uh, what do you see, um, is sort of in the pipeline for blood and milk in 2021 or even in the upcoming years? Like, what are you excited to bring to blood and milk, um, particularly for this year, given where we are as a culture now? Does anything jump to mind? It's such a good question. And I think the great thing and where I feel very lucky with blood and milk is, like I've said, I get to learn alongside of it. And a lot of blood and milk's evolution is kind of from my own like personal learnings. And uh, I think race and intersectionality is the perfect example. Like that was obviously a response to George, George Floyd's death and Black Lives Matter in June. Um, I think prior to that in March, April of last year, we were focused pretty much solely on mental health because obviously the world turned upside down and that was the content our readers needed. So it's almost hard for me to predict what 2021 will bring content-wise because I first need to see where how we're going to be feeling as 2021 kind of continues. Um, and, you know, making sure there is that consistent feedback loop with our community and our readership and making sure that, um, the content is there for them, um, in whatever way, kind of the, the culture and the landscape in every way that is evolving. Showing the importance of, I guess, that deeper listening to see where's culture moving, what are our readers curious about, what are their experiences, and then bringing the platform in to be a part of that conversation. So again, I, I kind of see some parallels between the way that we were talking about, yeah, impacting girls in underrepresented communities abroad, and also uh, similar thinking in how you bring content to your readers on Blood and Milk. So definitely, I think it's it's definitely listening. And then I think it's also as I said it though, I'm like, but I want to be clear that it's also not being quick to forget kind of the other important learnings. So mental health, great example. Like, are we all going to be a little bit traumatized from 2020? Maybe. Do I want to make sure that we have in our editorial calendar upcoming um, resources for people who are feeling anxious about going back into the world in the workplace? Like certainly same with recent intersectionality. Like I don't want to be a brand or a platform that ticks a box, you know, June, July, and August of 2020, and then goes away and stops that hard work. Um, so making sure that that those themes also continue to to carry through in, in everything that that we're thinking about. Wonderful. I'm excited to see what comes what comes our way. And <laughs> you know, you you've recently transitioned out of being head of content at Cora, and now you've taken this big leap to be a freelance content writer, uh, which is super exciting. Congratulations. I know I shared it with you at the beginning before we started recording this, but I think that is a huge step and perhaps can bring some autonomy too to what you pursue um, as a content writer, as a creative, um, and to yeah go deep with topics that you care about across different platforms. So kind of in the same vein, um, you know, what particular topics or stories are you excited about? Um, are you curious to explore more and bring into the world through, through your storytelling in 2021 or <laughs> in years ahead? Yeah. So I think that with Blood and Milk, I the role there is more of a curator, more of a listener, more of an editor. And it's been interesting to you know, even in my three years at Cora, started going through like some of the different pillars myself. So I got married. We started trying to have a baby. So fertility, what was once something just like a vertical, like a line across the page now is deeply personal. So I think I'm excited to tell some of my own stories in a way that, you know, kind of helps me process some of these things that have just been ideas or kind of understanding how we talk about them as a culture or how other writers communicate them, uh, kind of share or make sense of some of my own personal experiences. Mm, love it. Bringing the personal into the actual content itself. That feels very powerful. So as we 
round and close out the conversation, I always love to ask our guests if you can leave our community of listeners a message or a question that they can reflect on beyond this conversation, kind of sitting where you sit on so many different intersectionalities of, you know, brand, women's empowerment, impact, storytelling, like whatever you want to pull from, what feels like a, a message or a question that can be relevant to share. So something that I saw the other day, and I'm going to have to get back to you with the article to attribute it correctly, but something that I've been thinking a lot about after reading this article was um, if you don't kind of have your thesis statement already, keep reading. And I think that is super important as we watch our culture evolve as the female women's empowerment movement evolves to include more people. Um, I think a lot of us, like, it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, I don't know what I, how I would define feminism right now. And I'm not going to go write an article about it, but I'm going to go and read and consume and learn from as many other people as I can. Um, so I think just that, like the power of we're in an always on culture where there's so much pressure to say and react and for brands to like automatically have the answer, have the response to every cultural movement that's happening. And I think it's, I think that's dangerous. I think that we need to take time to, to think and learn, um, before, you know, jumping to create content that, um, you know, isn't ready to be created. Well said. So thoughtful. Exploring kind of all those angles angles, and being really thoughtful about what the moment calls for and how we can be in service of that versus just coming in and defining it without really listening and understanding and being sensitive. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Megan, what a pleasure to be in conversation with you and to, yeah, just really appreciate what you do and what you bring to this larger conversation. And I mean, before we, before we close out, um, for those who want to connect with you or, you know, maybe have you contribute to, you know, their particular publications, is there a way that they can get in touch? Yeah, absolutely. So my website is just meganlyerly.com. I am off of Instagram currently, which feels great. Uh, and then if they're interested in learning more about Blood and Milk and Cora, um, that's just cora.life or bloodandmilk.com. Thank you so much, Megan. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. It was so fun chatting and seeing you after so many years and such a great conversation. So thank you for having me. Thank you. And for all of our listeners, if you feel uplifted, shifted in any way, please spread this episode. Give us your feedback. We always welcome that. And we will see you next week. The Alt Normal. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow. If you enjoyed this conversation, please show us the love. You can subscribe, share, or leave a review. We'd be so grateful to help us amplify these stories far and wide. Thanks so much.